Well, good morning. morning. Trying to beat everybody. It is good to be uh, finally back home again and and, uh, getting everything uh, going and ready uh, at the farm. We haven't quite figured out what the the name of the farm is going to be, but I don't know, how many of you remember singing that song, uh, There's Power in the Blood, and on the chorus, you tried to see how many powers you could get in there. Do you remember that? You, so you start on the quarter note, or the, and you do, you know, and then you do the eighth note, and then if you're real good, you do the sixteenth note, and then we had a worship leader that tried to do the thirty-second note, uh, and uh, it was like we, it was the machine gun approach to singing that song, and uh, we tried to see if we could pepper the whole uh, song with uh, machine gun fire of nothing but the blood. So it was, it was always fun. I love that song. I miss I miss that competition. <laughs> you can tell I was highly competitive in growing up in the church. So I learned that I learned to sing that song in Oklahoma. So the only thing missing was a banjo. So, <laughs> but uh, we have a couple in my office for Ernest to play next time. So, <laughs> but anyway, it's wonderful. Uh, it was such a wonderful opportunity to hear from Pastor Ralph. Uh, last week, and man, what, how God has so blessed our church, and blessed him, and uh, he'll tell you, it's, it's just, he, it's all joy for him, and to serve in the Lord, and, and it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. We've been in this series, and, and talking about cultivating the gospel lifestyle, cultivating the gospel, and, and a big part of that is God's love, and it's not the world, worldly type of love, it's not love that's determined by the world and by circumstances and by things. It's, it's determined by God. And it's how do we cultivate that? Because cultivating the gospel lifestyle and lifestyle in the church and outside the church really grows the church. And it grows the church because God adds people to the church. We don't add people to the church. God does. And when we try to add people to the church and we do anything we can to add people to the church, we get lost in, in that a lot of times. And part of that, too, is sometimes we lose the meaning of God's love and loving people the way that God wants us to. You know, the gospel is amazing, just by its definition, the good news. The good news that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, that he would be willing to be the perfect lamb because he was God who came to live to die. To die that we might have life. You can think about that. He lived to die that in his death we might, instead of living in death, be free from our sin and live with him for the rest of eternity. That's an amazing, that's good news. No matter how you look at it, it's amazing news. And yet sometimes we forget that that's the news that should drive our everyday life. And so we, when looking, one of the best places to look about how to cultivate the, the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 13. And we started that by looking at this fact that God's love is essential. Without God's love, the gospel makes no sense. There is no good news. And we have no freedom from our sin. We're just stuck, miserable, with guilt and shame. But because of God's love, we have freedom from that. We have a life with God. 
We have, we have an amazing different outlook on life. We have strength through the Holy Spirit that no one else has. And it's because of the gospel. And without it, there, it's a, we have nothing. We're incapable of growing as a church. We're incapable of loving each other. And that's what's so beautiful about the gospel is a bunch of people incapable of loving each other, loving each other. That, there's just something amazing about that. And that's the beautiful part about it. The other thing is, is the gospel is only effective when we pattern it after God's character. Remember love in verse 4, it says the love suffers long and is kind. Well, where did that suffering long and kindness come from? It came from God. We naturally can't do that. But when we focus on God's character, we have the ability to love the way that God loves and the way that he loved us. And so that, that's important. So we've been cultivating at, at our farm. And so this is what cultivating on, on, the, on the Decker's piece of property looks like. Um, the colors don't do it justice. But uh, we got five of those bowls of strawberries. And that's, I don't know what kind of quart or pint that is. But, uh, but because of the Bleca's hard work, we have this farm of strawberries that just won't quit. We, there's still more strawberries out there. We, we still haven't picked them all yet. And I can't remember how many uh, little pints of jam we've made and how many frozen strawberries we have. But we just have strawberries coming out everywhere. And they are more than happy to pick them. <laughs> so what's amazing is if we picked five of those, and uh, five or more of those bowls. And, uh, and those kids, I think, ate two and put one in. <laughs> two for one. I remember what that was like. And my grandmother's like, hey, I got to pay for those because we were at a you pick farm. So, <laughs> but I remember making uh, jam. But the real cultivation on the farm is right here, right? This is, this is just fun. The rest of it is the kids. That's the cultivation. But, you know, in order to find those, we had to pull a lot of weeds, didn't we? We did. If you've been to our, there's a lot of overgrown weeds. We've, we just haven't been able to uh, mow it all down yet. But uh, the more we pull weeds, guess what? The more strawberries we keep finding. That is true also about our life with each other and our life with church and our life outside of church, is, is that in order for us to continue to cultivate the gospel, we have to learn to pull some weeds. How the gospel love is diminished. You know how it's diminished? It's by letting rocks or weeds take over in, in the garden that God has given us, in this body, in our love for one another. It's amazing, but if you don't remember... 1 Corinthians 13, is that love is not about a loving relationship between a husband and wife. It's a loving relationship that's supposed to be within the church body, but was not. I challenge you to read through 1 Corinthians, and you'll see that every chapter is riddled just about with a new problem. There's, they were, there was sin everywhere, and there was no love. And, and Paul and God is reminding us that if we want to cultivate a growing and healthy church, we have to have God's love. That love is essential, and without it, we have nothing. And so this, as we begin this, this is just part one, because 
Paul has eight negatives here that we're going to read. And I pray that not that it won't be just negative, if you won't look at it in such a negative way, but you will look at that and say, those are weeds that we need to pull often. And help me pull them. Look for ways to pull them. And be, uh, uh, not studious, studious is the wrong word, be continually pulling them on a regular basis, looking for these weeds. Because if we're going to grow the church, we have to be willing to get down and pull weeds in our life and help others around us pull the weeds in their lives as well and be willing to do that, to get down in the dirt of life with each other. Well, let's pray and then let's reread 1 Corinthians 13, the first few verses there. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will use the Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. Lord, again, I am so incapable But, Lord, your spirit is so capable. Lord, with you, Lord, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, and so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would teach us as we read your word. And, Lord, just help us to look at building this church in a different way than we have before. Look how we might be willing to pull weeds together and remove some things that will destroy your love. So, Lord, I just thank you for what you teach us this morning. I pray that you'd continue to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 6, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clinging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And it's interesting, but that is a very good commentary about the Pharisees and Sadducees, the, very, the religious rulers of the day. And, he, and Paul is saying, look, that is not the way that we ought to be in church. But look at it, verse 3, and he says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, But have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love at first sight is easy to understand right? At first sight, love is not too difficult to understand. It's when two people have been looking at each other for a long time that love really, we see love as a miracle, right? I know. I've talked to people that have been married for 70 years, and they they say it's by God's grace. And lots of apple pie and a lot of saying, yes, honey, you're right. (laughs) But when you look at love, in the beginning, you say, well, love is really easy, man. I love you. After 70 years, you begin to realize love is a whole different animal. And when we live with each other in church life or we live each other at home for a long period of time, we really begin to know how important love is. It's amazing. A little girl was invited over for dinner and uh, at home as a first grader with her friend. Uh, I remember what that was like. I got in trouble because I put too much bread on my, my uh, on my, or too much butter on my bread. 
the dad took my bread and buttered all the rest of the bread of the nine siblings and then gave it back to me. And I was like, my bread's dry. <laughs> but uh, he, she, this girl was invited over, and, and they said, hey, do you like broccoli? And she goes, oh, I love it. But when the bowl of broccoli was passed, she declined to take any. And the hostess said, I, said, I thought you loved broccoli. Oh, and uh, she said, oh, yes, ma'am, I do, but not enough to eat it. <laughs> How many times when you are asked, do you love your family? And you're like, well, yeah, I love my family. Just not good enough to go, you know, spend every day with them, right? I love, my, I love it when they come over for Thanksgiving and Christmas, but the rest of the time it's great that we're apart. You know, sometimes we say that at church. We say, do you love your church family? Oh, yeah, I love my church family. Of course I do. But a lot of times when, when we get passed around, we say, well, I, I love you, and I love the church body, but not good enough to serve you or to sacrifice for you. That gets a little bit harder. Love looks different when it takes a sacrifice or when it demands that we take a step back. Paul is challenging us here. He's challenging us that we have a priority. In 1 John 3.18, the idea here is is that love is not abstract. In the words of the the Apostle John, it says, we love in word, not just in word, but in deed and truth. Love is not abstract. We don't just say, I love you. We have to show it. And that's important, and it's how we live and act on love that really determines our love for one another. And Paul is challenging us, he's saying, love, this is a command, by the way, here, that we need, we have to love. It's not this option. Oh, by the way, church, you, it's, it's, it's beneficial if you love, right? We love it, right, if we read the Bible and it says, oh, this is just a good idea you can do if you want or not. And then as soon as we try to do it, and we realize it's hard, we say, oh, it's just a suggestion. I can refuse to obey it. God is telling us here that we have to obey it. If we want to see things grow and change in our life and in the church's life, we have to love. In fact, it was a command, right? In John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, you must, what? Love one another. You must. That's interesting. You must. Is that a suggestion? In fact, did you know that it says in the Old Testament, you, uh, it, it wasn't a new command, by the way, to love one another. Do you know what the new command was? In John 15, 13, it says, this new command I give you to love one another just as I have loved you. His love for us was a lot different than the Old Testament love. That love of of sacrificing a lamb on the altar, Jesus became the sacrificial lamb to die in our place, to take our place, to pay for our sins. So when we stand before God, he will look at us and he will see Christ's sacrifice in your place. That was real love. He demonstrated to us what love was. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The problem is is that weeds um, diminish the gospel. And we want to look at the first 
few things. These are weeds that we need to look at and pull every day. The first one is living with, oh, let's bypass that because we don't have time. <laughs> living with envy. Living with envy. Jealousy. Some of your translations might say jealousy. Uh, the New King James says, uh, love suffers long and is kind, and it does not envy. It isn't jealous. Uh, jealousy has one, uh, was one of the sins that was hurting the church. They were competing with one another. They were trying to be, you know, trying to do better in their gifts and their abilities, trying to one-up one another. They were actually showing favoritism to those who had more money by giving them front row. Now, in our church, we'd say, if I give you preference, that means you can have the back row. You know, nobody wants the front row, except for my family. We beat out Chet and his family. So, <laughs> so anyway, I just put my Bible there now. So, but nobody seems to want the front row. It's like the pastor might spit, kick, or hit them or something. I don't know. But I was always taught you sit in the front row to look for all the little crumbs to get from the pastor, right? And uh, that's what our youth pastor always taught us. But... They were showing favoritism, but there was a lot of jealousy. And it was really hurting the church in Corinth. The people had divided factions because they were jealous with what each person could do. They were jealous over the gifts that God had given different people. And they were trying to force the gifts and trying to say, well, I can do that too. And there was all this competition because of jealousy. And Paul says there's something better then all these gifts, and it's called love. God's love for you. Love is not jealous. If we're going to live with jealousy, it's going to destroy the gospel. Do you understand that the very thing that God wants us to go out to, to show people who God really is, to proclaim how great God is, to so that way people will respond to his call so they'd be saved for the rest of eternity, so they won't go to hell and... and all of that, we distract people from hearing the good news because of jealousy. We have to pull that weed. It's a disgusting weed. It's a thorny weed. You know those thorny weeds that you should put on like four pairs of gloves before you pull? You know, like those blackberry bushes? They're really weeds, right? Uh, I, we need goats <laughs> or pigs, and we just throw the pigs at the, at the blackberry bushes because no matter how much I try to dig them up, they always seem to come back. That's jealousy. That and the alder trees around here, they grow like weeds too. But <laughs> I was like, oh, we don't have any trees on our farm, and they're like, oh, just give it a few years, you'll have plenty of trees. We, I already found some trees growing. Besides the, the, the cherry trees are reproducing and also the alders. But jealousy, you know... Think about this. You guys all know who George Mueller is. Some of you may not know. An amazing missionary. There, if you want to read, I love missionaries. They teach me so much about my life with God, about church, about being a pastor. I learn a lot from missionaries, and, and I'm so privileged to have former missionaries in our church because I look up to them, and I, they encourage me greatly and help me serve in the church and help me learn to be a better leader. George Mueller was an amazing uh, missionary, and I love his biography. But as I was reading his biography, it was funny. As he started talking about this guy that I've never heard of. But while on the mission field, this guy, I don't even remember his name, he was his partner on the mission field. And he was talking about, in one of the chapters in his biography, how 
Everybody loved his partner's teaching over his. And George Mueller began to be confronted with this idea of being jealous. He didn't realize how jealous he was becoming. And he said, one day I just sat before God and told God, you know what? I realize that I'm a lot more jealous than I thought. And he confessed his sin before God. And he says, Lord, I need to deal with this. And what's amazing is that nobody knows who really who his partner was. But everybody knows who George Mueller was, even though on the mission field, everybody liked his partner's teaching better than his. And that's encouraging. We, it's amazing what God can do with a humble spirit rather than a jealous spirit. If we resent the the success and accomplishment of others and find ourselves striking out at them with damaging words or innuendos or having problems with them and not wanting to spend time with them, then we realize that we might have a problem with jealousy. And if, don't worry about it. If that's the case, if you're jealous, realize that God has the antidote. And it's called love. Remembering how much he loved you. Jealousy is one of the most vile sins that we can harbor in our heart. We don't want to harbor it. And the, and the idea is, is it's okay to admit these things. We need to be always looking for ways to pull these weeds. The second one is uh, boastful and arrogant living. These are twins. These are a dynamic duo. Uh, if you watch cartoons growing up and you're over 30, that's the Wonder Twins. Uh, they activate lots of problems in churches. Boastfulness and arrogant living. Um, the idea is it's referring to inflation of one's importance. If you look at in the, in the New King James, I love this. It says it does, uh, love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. You, it doesn't, you're not your own balloon that you puff up. You know, if, if you are so arrogant and you're puffing up your balloon, guess what's going to happen? Bang! Yeah, one of these days, you're going to puff yourself up just a little too much. And what does that say? The Bible says pride comes before a... That's all of us. Church leaders, it doesn't matter who we are. The more you puff yourself up, the more danger we are of blowing things up. You know, when you blow things up, it's not very healthy for those around you, right? We want to be healthy for those around us. We can't be boastful. We can't be arrogant. We can't puff ourselves up. I like that. It's, it's these ugly twins. They're related. Both stem from selfishness, and, on the flip, and they're on the flip side or the opposite of jealousy. Let me share why they're the opposite of jealousy. The opposite of Jealousy is not love. The opposite of, of uh, boastfulness and arrogant is not love. They're altogether separate. Jealousy is wanting what somebody else has. Bragging or being arrogant is trying to make others jealous of what you have. Like me showing all those, you know, I'm bragging about my strawberries. Because I didn't plant them. I didn't, I just, I didn't even pull the weeds. My wife and my daughter did. <laughs> they pulled the weeds, they watered them, and actually the blekas grew them. So we keep harvesting the blekas fruit. That's the way it is in our life. 
We should stop being boastful and arrogant because we don't produce anything. Guess who does that? God does. God's love for us produces fruit. Jealousy put others down. Bragging tries to build yourself up so other people will be jealous. It is a vicious cycle, and it's one thing that will overtake and destroy the church. We have got to pull that weed. We don't want to make a parade of ourselves. If we're making a parade of the church and ourselves, we are going to destroy the gospel. People can't see the gospel through all that weed. The more we pull that and refuse to boast and to be arrogant about what we have and realize it's something that was given to us by God, we actually present the gospel to everybody. Everybody that's in the church and everybody that's outside the church. Imagine this. This is a good illustration. I've seen this happen before. uh, Those of you that are fishermen understand this. There was a young boy that was fishing with the, the cane pole, if you need a really good cane pole or a bamboo fly rod, find uh, Jim and make sure and ask before you cut down his bamboo. He, he, he loves that thing. So it's just a weed. I don't understand it. But if you get his poles, you can make a really cool bamboo fishing pole. This boy, he went out with his little switch, uh, some twine, and you know, the, you know the little pins, the little clothes pins? And he was out there in... Uh, Fisherman like myself with his nice graphite rod and reel and his nice, you know, monofilament, really, you know, Invisalign, and went out and he went fishing and caught nothing. And he walks over and he looks at this, this young boy who has really the worst setup you can imagine, has a full stringer of fish. And the, and the guy just sitting there, he's like, what in the world? What, what's the difference? And he says, well... The difference is, is I, when I came down, I tried to keep out of sight. I didn't want the fish to see me. And that was the secret to his success. I, I, can, I, can, I can testify to that. There are many times when I've gone fishing that if I presented myself big at the shoreline, I caught nothing. The fish, especially in the rivers, they could see you. You sneak down. You don't want to be seen. That's the idea in church. We don't want to be seen. It's the opposite of being boastful and arrogant. That's why, uh, like when I, when I came here three months ago, I told you, it's not about my authority. I don't want any authority in the church. I want God to have complete control of all of our lives. He is the most important authority in the church. If it becomes about me or about you, then we've lost the gospel. We cannot be visible. If we're the only thing visible to the world, then we are a really bad painting to the community. It has to be the Lord. We have to get out of the way. We, and that's another weed to pull. The third weed that we need to pull is we can't, love is not living. Weed, living with shameful actions and attitude. And in other words, being rude. We have to pull that weed. Rudeness. And just saying, well, that's just my personality. It doesn't matter. We've got to get rid of rudeness. Shameful actions or attitudes. It refers to the shape of something 
Um, it's, the, it's the idea of, of uh, the shape of our attitude, the shape of our actions, the, the makeup of who we are. The idea is to behave in an ugly, indecent, unseemingly, or unbecoming manner. To be ill-mannered or rude. Love does none of those things. Love, love becomes gracious. Love becomes kind. Love, graciousness, by the way, is suffering long with people's inability to love you. Think about that. Come to church every Sunday and realize that every person you're going to come, back, come in contact with has really the inability to truly love you. Only God has the ability to love you. But this is the type of love we're supposed to have. Is this not to be rude or have this kind of expectation. Hudson Taylor, although, by the way, guess what? I was really good friends with George Mueller, another really amazing missionary. If you, by the way, aren't boasting and arrogant and aren't jealous of each other, you tend to have an amazing abundance of friends. And they're amazing friends. And they challenge you, friends. Because guess what? All of you like to team up together because nobody's jealous of each other. Right? That makes a great team. Teams like that usually win, right? Hudson Taylor says, In nothing do we fail more as a mission than in lack of tact and politeness. Right? We need to check our attitudes. Are we being tact? Are we being kind? Or are our actions coming across rude? Sometimes, I, I know there's times, I've had people come to my office and I'm like, Pastor, that, you just really offended me. And I'm like, oh, what did I do? And I, so most of the time, I don't even remember what I said. They tell me, and it's like, man, I am so sorry. Because that's not what I intended but I did. I made you feel that way. And man, it makes, me, it makes me sad. We need to really look at every opportunity in our life to, to, to pull that weed of, of shameful talk. Or sometimes I get really excited and I joke around. And I can tell when I've joked around too much. Right? And I'm like, ooh, I didn't mean that. And I have to forgive me, please. We all should do that. Love has good manners. Love is courteous. Love is polite. Love is sensitive to the feelings of others and always use tact. Philippians chapter 2. Look out and out for your own interest, but the interest of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right? That, he showed us this love. By not sitting on earth and saying they're good-for-nothing sinners that don't deserve anything. And yet, he said, yeah, they don't deserve anything, but I'm going to come and die for them and show them what real love is. This is the point. This is the whole point here. Is the gospel will become eclipsed by elevating my self-righteousness by pretending that we are better than we really are. Here's a novel idea. How about we all come to church and really think of ourselves that we're just all sinners? We're all good for nothing. What a novel idea. Love is not jealous. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. You know how we come and we live out God's love? By realizing our, 
who we really are. But you know what the number one problem is? Is we like to compare ourselves to each other. Well, of course you're better than some people. There's a lot of people better at things than I am. Right? I've always been proud of my fishing ability. Even God will humble that. Uh, I used to take people fishing and all the time, and, and one of the guys I used to take fishing, he says, oh, pastor, you've got to come fishing with me, and we're going to go get perch. And I was like, well, where are we going to get perch? And, and he says, oh, at the coast, we're going to get surf perch. And I said, oh, that sounds like great. And he goes, hey, he says, you're a great fisherman. This will be easy for you. They're so easy to catch. And I'm like, great, that'll be awesome. Honey, I'm going to bring lots of fish home. Don't make any food. I've been fishing three times for surf perch and still have not caught one. And the buddy that took me, he limited out every time. God has a great sense of humor. He has a great way of humbling you. We got to be careful. There's always, there's always a little bit of pride. There's always a little bit of arrogance. There's always something that needs to be pulled in our life. The more that we're willing to say that, you know what, I am not righteous I am not good, but God is good. And when we recognize that God is good, guess what we do? We love others with the love that God has loved us. If we want to change and we want to become a driving force in our community, we've got to pull these weeds in our life. And here's the real question. Do you have any of these weeds in your life? You say, well, of course not, Pastor. I have none of these. Then you're, if you say that, you're in danger of allowing these weeds to grow in your life. The right answer is, yeah, I am capable of all these weeds every day. Guess what happens when we realize we're capable of having these weeds in our life? We look out for them. We weed them regularly. It's when we think we don't have them that they begin to grow and take over in our life. I want to challenge you to look into your life and ask yourself, what weeds do I need to pull? We're going to look at the rest of them. You can look ahead. They're there. They're pretty easy to understand. And we'll look at them next week on Father's Day. We'll look at pulling weeds so we can have a barbecue. (laughs) But uh, that's my job all week, pull weeds so we can uh, have a barbecue. (laughs) But here's the thing. Will you pull weeds with me? As I pull weeds in my life, will you pull weeds in your life? So that way the gospel will be present so people will come to the Lord and say, I need the Lord. Would you do that with me? I challenge you. And maybe you've never seen the gospel before and you said, you know what, Pastor, I never realized that how much my sin was in the way of me having a relationship with God. And the truth is, without God, we have no relationship. We have no forgiveness of sins. We have no true life. We have no ability to even do anything good apart from God. We need him. And if you say, I need the Lord this morning, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. This morning as we pray and as we sing and we, and we go to the Lord, I, I challenge you as we, we pray and we sing that you would call upon the Lord to either remove the weeds in your life and say, you know what, I've got to get rid of some of these things. But maybe you say, you know what, I've never even had a relationship with the Lord, and I need the Lord 
I need to be saved from my sin. Ask the, tell the Lord you're a sinner. Repent and ask the Lord to save you. In your faith and your trust, as you call upon the Lord, he will save you. If you feel the Lord calling you, respond. Today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. We don't know what's going to happen in our pew or as we go home or as we drive home. Are you saved from your sins? Do you know that you're going to heaven? Do you have a relationship with the Lord? If you don't know, call upon the name of the Lord. Ask one of the leaders, uh, come up and ask me after church, and I'll explain it to you again. But call upon the Lord.